to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, March 30th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Coming up on today's show, it's episode number 916. And in the news, President Trump's new opioid commission features four legalization opponents. In our cannabis focus, we've got Oregon congressmen who are announcing a trio of bills designed to reform federal marijuana laws. In Reefer Madness Debunked, we tackle a CNN claim that 80% of one Colorado trucking company's workforce flunked their drug tests. Then we, in our cannabis focus, we'll be discussing opioid addiction and how cannabis can deal with that with our friend Joe Schrank from Cannabis Assisted Sobriety. And then we've got time for a radical rant. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, March 30th, 2017. President Trump signed an executive order Wednesday creating a high-level opioids commission led by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who has spoken about the need to prioritize treatment for opioid addiction. It includes Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who has suggested more of a crime and punishment approach. Along with Governor Christie as chairman, other members include notable marijuana legalization opponents, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, and Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. Despite growing evidence that medical marijuana can help combat the opiate epidemic, in 2016, Governor Baker said legalization in Massachusetts would, quote, threaten to reverse our progress combating the growing opioid epidemic, end quote. Governor Cooper said during a push for medical marijuana in North Carolina in 2015 that it was, quote, something we need to go very slow on, end quote, and Attorney General Bondi helped campaign for the defeat of Florida's medical marijuana amendment in 2014. Senate Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron Wyden, a Democrat of Oregon, along with Senior Member of the House Ways and Means Committee, Representative Earl Blumenauer, Democrat of Oregon, today introduced three pieces of legislation to preserve the integrity of state marijuana laws and provide a path for responsible federal legalization and regulation of the marijuana industry. The path to marijuana reform includes the Bipartisan Small Business Tax Equity Act, which prevents legal marijuana businesses from getting hit with an unfair tax bill. The package also includes measures to shrink the gap between federal and state marijuana policies and responsibly deschedule tax and regulate marijuana. On Monday, Governor Terry McAuliffe signed into law SB 1091, finally ending Virginia's practice of automatically suspending a driver's license for six months after receiving a first offense marijuana possession conviction. Now the court has discretion as to whether to impose this condition as a term of probation. Anyone receiving such a conviction will still be subject to other conditions under Virginia law, including substance abuse screening, drug testing, and community service. Minors are still subject to the automatic license suspension. The law takes effect on July 1st, 2017. Last week, the governor also signed SB 1027, permitting pharmaceutical processors to produce low-THC cannabis oil for patients suffering from intractable epilepsy. This extremely narrow law will eventually provide for in-state production and distribution of the oil, and patients will be able to enroll in a program with their doctor's certification. California Assemblymember Reggie Jones-Sawyer has introduced legislation that would help protect the state's marijuana industry from federal interference. The recently introduced bill is already generating controversy. AB 1578 will protect Californians who are operating lawfully under our state laws by providing that, absent a court order, local and state agencies, including regulators and law enforcement, shall not assist in any federal enforcement against state authorities and authorized medical cannabis or commercial or non-commercial marijuana activity. The bill will get its first hearing April 18th in the Assembly Public Safety Committee. 
Democratic Representative Beto O'Rourke is expected to announce Friday he will challenge Texas Senator Ted Cruz for Senate next year, people familiar with the decision confirmed. O'Rourke, if he declares, would be the first Democrat to announce his intention to challenge Cruz. Representative Joaquin Castro is also considering a Senate run. With Democrats defending 25 seats in 2018, including 10 in states won by President Donald Trump, a competitive race against Cruz would be a major boon to the party. Only two other GOP-held seats, Arizona and Nevada, are currently expected to be competitive. Democrats would need to pick up three seats to win the majority. O'Rourke, a former El Paso city councilman, shocked the Democratic establishment by defeating eight-term incumbent congressman Sylvester Reyes, whose campaign ads attacked O'Rourke for his vocal support of marijuana legalization. The Argentine Senate on Wednesday approved a bill to guarantee access to cannabis oil for therapeutic purposes. The initiative, which establishes a regulatory framework for the medical and scientific use of cannabis oil and its derivatives, was approved with the unanimous vote of the 58 senators present at the site. According to the approved standard, the Ministry of Health must guarantee free access to hemp oil and other derivatives of the plant to all patients who qualify. The law does not authorize personal cultivation. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, March 30th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Hi, Patsy here again. Did you know that kids take drugs right out of your medicine cabinet? Which is why I've taken all the labels off our prescriptions. Honey, are these your prescription hormone pills or mine? You have the orange one. I'm sorry. Don't be a patsy. Learn a better way from the partnership and our community partners. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day exclusively on RadicalRust.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Drugs take away the dream from every child's heart and replace it with a nightmare. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me say that i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that a public service message from the russ belleville show the world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace the russ belleville show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus Today in the Cannabis Focus, I am so proud to be an Oregonian where I can say my congressman, Earl Blumenauer, and my senator, Ron Wyden, have joined together to introduce three bills that will protect state cannabis laws and provide a path forward for the federal government to end this failed and harmful policy of cannabis prohibition. We've got a super majority of American voters that support medical cannabis. We've got a strong majority favoring marijuana legalization. It's Just finally time that we get congressmen and senators on a bipartisan basis stepping forward to support sensible reform legislation in the Congress. Unfortunately, not all the congressmen are as understanding and educated as these two gentlemen. Most of them seem to be about a decade behind the people on this issue. But here in Oregon, we've been lobbying hard and educating our officials at the state and the federal level to the point now where they understand that the war on marijuana is a failed policy with disastrous consequences, especially for the poor and people of color. They're a part of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus. I should say uh, Earl Blumenauer is. 
Uh, Alaska's Don Young and California's Dana Rohrabacher formed the caucus along with Colorado Democrat Jared Polis and the aforementioned Representative Blumenauer. So four congressmen, both sides of the aisle, all from legal states, standing up for our rights. And more and more congressmen should be joining that caucus as time uh, goes on. According to the press release from Senator Wyden and Representative Blumenauer, they've got three bills that are a part of this path forward. Uh, they're calling it the, uh, the Path to Marijuana Reform, and it includes three bills. The first bill is the Small Business Tax Equity Act. This legislation would treat state legal marijuana businesses like other small businesses by repealing the tax penalty that singles out marijuana businesses and bars them from claiming deductions and tax credits. Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, is co-sponsor of this bill in the Senate, and Representative Carlos Corbello, a Republican of Florida, is sponsoring the companion legislation in the House. So Republicans are carrying these bills, folks. Uh, the Small Business Tax Equity Act would basically deal with the 280E provision, uh, that tax provision that was instituted during the Miami Vice cocaine cowboy days that was meant to take the yachts away from the, uh, the drug cartels, but has really turned into a way to deny legitimate law-abiding, at least state law-abiding marijuana businesses from deducting their cost of goods sold, their basic, uh, uh, their basic tax deductions that any business would deduct, their salaries and so forth. So, forth. so that's the first part. The second part is the Responsibly Addressing Marijuana Policy Gap Act, this legislation would reduce the gap between federal and state laws by removing federal criminal penalties and civil asset forfeiture for individuals and businesses complying with state law. It would also reduce barriers for state legal marijuana businesses by ensuring access to banking, bankruptcy protection, marijuana research and advertising. It would protect individual marijuana consumers in states that have legalized marijuana by providing an expungement process for certain marijuana violations ensuring access to public housing and federal financial aid for higher education, and ensuring that a person cannot be deported or denied entry to the U.S. solely for consuming marijuana in compliance with state law. Finally, it would remove unfair burdens by ensuring veterans have access to state legal medical marijuana and protect Native American tribes from punishment under federal marijuana laws. Basically, it would tell the federal government hands off of the states when it comes to their state marijuana laws. No more deportations and, and barring people at the border if they admitted that they smoked pot in Colorado when it was legal. That's happening, folks. People are getting denied entry to this country because they admit they smoked pot legally in a state where that's allowed. It would protect the Native American tribes. They're free to move forward with their sovereignty and decide what they want to do as sovereign nations uh, when it comes to the treatment of cannabis. So it sounds a lot like the Carers Act in a sense, this uh, uh, responsibly addressing the Marijuana Policy Gap Act. Uh, basically, it sounds like it's doing the same stuff, allowing veterans to get access through uh, the VA to be able to use medical marijuana and so forth. And then the final part of these uh, this three-part uh, set of bills, the Marijuana Revenue and Regulation Act. Uh, this legislation would responsibly deschedule tax and regulate marijuana. It would impose an excise tax on marijuana products similar to current federal excise taxes on alcohol and tobacco, escalating annually to a top rate equal to 25% of the sales price. Marijuana producers, importers, and wholesalers would be required to obtain a permit from the Department of Treasury, and the marijuana industry would be regulated in a manner similar to alcohol. Strict rules would prevent the, prohibit the sale or distribution of marijuana in states where it is illegal under state law. Representative Jared Polis is sponsoring a portion of this legislature in the House. This is one where I'm... I don't know if I want this one to pass immediately. To deschedule marijuana at the federal level and to tax and regulate it, Sounds good in theory, but one of the things that we have currently with marijuana being federally scheduled is that it prevents major corporations from getting involved in the industry. You can't get, you can't be an Archer Daniels Midland or a, a ConAgra or any of these massive agriculture or a, for that matter, Altria, Philip Morris, those types of companies from getting involved in this. These multinational corporations can't get involved because the schedule one designation at the federal level puts the rest of their assets at risk. 
runs the risk of them being hauled into a federal court and having their assets seized or, or their accounts frozen or whatever. So they don't want to deal with that. Hell, even in Nevada, the alcohol uh, distributors are currently balking at being able to distribute marijuana as well because of their federal entanglements, because of the uh, Department of Alcohol, Tobacco and Farms and so forth. So if we deschedule at the federal level, then then all bets are off as to whether or not these big corporations can get involved. The other thing to consider is descheduling at the federal level and this tax escalating annually to a top rate equal to 25%. Now we're talking about adding another 25% to what will already be in Washington state, 37% taxes. That again, this descheduling, while it sounds like a good thing in theory, may just end up raising the price of marijuana. And then that, of course, uh, fuels the underground market to make their profit by undercutting it. So, yes, it would be great that there are no federal penalties for marijuana. But most people aren't busted under the federal law. Most people are busted under state and local laws. And passing this Marijuana Revenue and Regulation Act, as it says, does not it would still prohibit sale or distribution in states where it's illegal under state law where people get busted anyway. So practically, I don't know that there would be much of an effect from a consumer and a producer point of view to passing this act because you you grow and sell weed in Kansas, you're still going to get busted under Kansas law. Wasn't likely the feds were going to bust you anyway. And if the other two acts pass, if we can get the Small Business Tax Equity Act and the Responsibly Addressing the Marijuana Policy Gap Act packs, those first two that I mentioned, if those first two pass... Those have eliminated almost every problem I can think of that's caused by marijuana being federally Schedule 1. And so if we've eliminated the problems that federal Schedule 1 causes, why deal with the problem of federal Schedule 1 so quickly? Why not let that stick around for a while? Let California build its market. Let Massachusetts build its market. Let there be many big players statewide in each state. Let those evolve to the point that when we do open this up and we do get rid of the federal scheduling, that they've had enough of a head start that they're not immediately just gobbled up by Archer Daniels Midland, by Monsanto, by Altria, by whoever else might gobble them up. I kind of like the timetable that ends federal, uh, that deschedules marijuana around 2020 or 2024 even. Maybe we maybe we roll through 2020. By then, we've got Michigan, and we're starting to you know broach the idea of locking up the Northeast. And maybe by 2024, it's time to start descheduling. I know this is weird for me to say to want to delay descheduling because there's that other part of me that's saying, you know, just as delayed is just as denied. That there are people busted under these federal laws every day, and any day that we wait on that is more suffering. There's just I have to weigh that against how. How much would it affect the development of state legalization if the feds jump in, if, if, if it's federally legal and then the big companies are jumping in that want to keep the profits high and the extra tax is attached that keeps the price high, that all of that keeps the, the underground market functioning and the functioning of the underground market then thwarts the argument to legalize in other states. I mean, there's a lot of lot of nuances to weigh here. I just think those first two, I can say, I can say those first two, absolutely go for it right now. Small Business Tax Equity Act, Responsibly Addressing Marijuana Policy Gap Act, the Marijuana Revelation, Revenue and Regulation Act, the federal descheduling and legalization. I can't say I'm against it. I can say I'm not too concerned if we don't get it immediately. If we get those first two, it would address 99% of the problem we're dealing with at the federal level. But it, but opening I just opening up the gates so soon to massive corporatization in the long run could be devastating. When our opponent's main argument right now is the big marijuana argument, the big corporations are coming to commoditize and addict and market pe- to people. The sooner that happens, the sooner we're actually letting those big corporations in, we could we could end up getting too much too fast and then having a big backlash to that.
It's just something to think about, folks. I could be completely wrong on this one. But uh, kudos to my senator and representative for introducing them. Or when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Ah, Richard Nixon. Doesn't Nixon and George W. Bush and those guys kind of seem quaint these days? (laughs) It's like, I remember when I used to think George W. Bush was just, you know, couldn't string a sentence together, was so unpresidential. And these days, he looks like Winston Churchill in comparison to the current president. (laughs) Just amazing. Happy 420, everybody in the Mountain Time Zone. Back after this. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun, though, isn't it? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Produces in its users in seven criminality and death. Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face to face with the monster of marijuana, he dropped it from fright. You know, it's not easy countering seven decades of propaganda in a two-hour show, but let's try. It's time time for the the Russ Belleville Show's Show's Reefer Madness Madness Debunk. Well, today we get some Reefer Madness straight out of CNN, of all outlets. And it was pointed out by Nine News in Colorado. There was an article that came out Monday. And uh, this article uh, was was about refugees, jobs, and drug testing. And it stated, quote, One oil and trucking company in Colorado did random drug screening last year and flunked 80% of their employees, mostly for marijuana. Whoa, four out of five employees testing positive for marijuana at a trucking company. That would be a major news story. Surprised that I missed it, huh? Surprised that Tom Angel missed it, huh? Surprised that we all missed it, huh? Well, turns out the reason we missed it is because it wasn't true. CNN was quoting Calvina Fay as their source. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, Calvina Fay is the executive director of the Drug Free America Foundation, which used to be, you know, the Partnership for Drug Free America, right? So the old, this is your brain on drugs, people. The Nine News team called her and said the reporter either misunderstood or misrepresented her anecdote. She says, quote, What I said was a random test was done at a particular location, and 80% of the workers tested at that location tested positive. So it wasn't 80% of the entire company, end quote. So you want to check up on that? Anybody want to follow up? Well, you can't because Calvina Fay wouldn't name the company, citing privacy concerns. Oh, it's one of those anonymous companies saying that 80% failed. What she would say is the company has more than one location and the supervisor at this particular location had reasons to suspect drug use before he ordered the test. It could be the number of employees fired represented one, two or 10% of the company's total workforce. Workforce. Faye didn't know she was positive. It wasn't 80% though. So they talked to some experts in Colorado and they said, look, if you did a random drug test of any workforce, you're likely to get a single digit answer. It's about eight, 8%. Of, of the workforce you can generally find to fail a drug test. Uh, so he says 80% would never, 
would never be anything. He says, quote, that would not be a true fact. We don't have anybody like that. And to back it up, he notes that the federal government currently requires oil and gas companies to randomly test 10% of their drivers at random intervals throughout the year. And they base those percentage based on the previous uh, positive drug test reports, right? So like the more drug test positives you end up getting, the more percentage of your workforce is going to get tested. Well, this guy says, quote, we just moved from 25% mandatory testing down to 10% mandatory testing because just that weren't weren't that many positives. <laughs> we had to we had to stop testing so many people because it was just wasting money, wasting time because so few people were testing positive. Now, it is true that they are getting more workplace drug test positives lately. Workplace drug test positives have reached a 10-year high in 2015 after a decline that had been steady since 1986. It had gone down every year. But the last three years, it's been on the rise. What else has happened in the last three years? Marijuana legalization. And there's no doubt that legalizing marijuana is going to lead some people to falsely think they can smoke weed and that the drug test won't mean anything. Quest Diagnostics says the increase was largely driven by double-digit increases in marijuana positivity during this time period. So CNN uh, jumped at using a statistic cited by a noted opponent of marijuana legalization and who won't cite her, her stat, won't cite her, you know, which company it was. So anybody can do a follow up on this kind of thing. The professionals in the drug testing industry will tell you that any workforce random test is generally about 8% of the workforce, which by the way is far higher than what you find from people that are unemployed or people seeking welfare. They tend to be in the two to 4% range. Why? Because marijuana costs money (laughs) and they're unemployed or they're on welfare and they can't afford the weed. But once again, we see a, a case where the mainstream media is willing to accept from the other side. Unquestioningly, they will accept their, pronouncements on marijuana policy, statistics, and science. But when it comes from our side, we have to actually back up our assertions with facts, science, reason, and logic with, with citations. I remember one situation, and this was back in my normal days working with Paul Montano, the deputy director of normal, where he was to be quoted on I don't remember the exact setup, but it was basically a situation where all we were doing was using addition. Like the, the, we were citing a statistic of X number of something. And they asked, well, how did you get the X number? And we're like, well, cause in that scenario, plus that scenario, plus that scenario adds up to X. It's called addition. And they wouldn't accept that. They were like, well, do you have, a a documentation from some other source that says X number. And we're like, well, no, we've got documentation of the first number and documentation of the second number and documentation of the third number. And then we used addition (laughs) to add the three documented numbers up. They wouldn't accept that. They, They wanted a source that had already added the numbers up not us because somehow stoner math isn't the same stoner edition stoner calculators stoner excel spreadsheets somehow don't do math correctly or something that's the kind of bias we face in the reporting a calvina fay a a, a a guy like uh kevin sabet all throughout 2011 and 2012 could be getting on tv saying that for every $1 in taxes that alcohol and tobacco bring in, they cost $10 in social costs without a single member of the mainstream media asking the follow-up question, what's the ratio for marijuana? What's the number for marijuana? And none of them since that time following up to ask, okay, where's the $2 billion in social costs from the $200 million we've raised in marijuana taxes? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. A substance that half Americans think should be legal, and more than two-thirds say the states should be free to regulate. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they... Amy to say that. Oh, I could have smoked that pot. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Despite marijuana's federal Schedule One status, academics continue to discover the truth, counter the propaganda, and unlock more benefits within humanity's most beneficial plant. Join us now as we speak with the pioneering researchers in cannabis in this edition of Sensamia Science. All right, welcome back, everybody. 30 after the hour, and today in Sensamia Science, we've got a guest joining us to discuss the issue of drug dependence. And this is something that uh, is is very important uh, to me in my personal history. Uh, my father was a drug and alcohol counselor for years and years and years, and it's a subject I know quite a bit about. And our guest is Joe Schrank joining us. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hey, Russ. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Uh, I hear you just fine. And you thanks, do? Okay, good. Thanks for joining us here on the show. And uh, let's get a better introduction for you. Tell people your background and what this uh, subject is that you want to tell us about. Well, I'm a clinical social worker. I've worked in addictions and recovery for many years. I do interventions and crisis management, a uh, bunch of different things. I write for various publications about the topic. But my new project is a treatment center in Los Angeles, and it's called High Sobriety. And we're, we include cannabis in part of the protocols, and we're looking at helping people in harm reduction rather than forcing abstinence on them if they're not interested in that. Um, and it's uh, received a bunch of different ways, a lot of hostility in, in, from many people, actually. I, I, I know that the uh, uh, the twelve step community is very strong on this idea of of clean and sober, and that including all sorts of mind altering substances except cigarettes, of course. But <laughs> pretty much, they are frowning on the idea of people using cannabis when they're trying to maintain sobriety. Tell folks why you think that might be a bad idea. Well, I think it's a bad idea because I think that people arrive at different decisions uh, at their own pace. You know, I think that if if somebody is is actively injecting heroin and they can replace that with cannabis, that that's huge. That's a huge, huge victory. Um, you know, and the same with alcohol. We 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 look the other way. Alcohol kills eighty eight thousand people a year. Uh, and if if 10 percent of those people who are in peril of actually losing their life switch to cannabis or were able to maintain in cannabis, it's. Uh, we had our system kick out for just a second there. I hope everyone was still able to hear you. But uh, we are speaking with addiction specialist Joe Schrank from Los Angeles's High Sobriety Clinic. And the idea here being that it's a harm reduction measure, that if, if someone's got a problem with alcohol or heroin and using marijuana might uh, help them avoid that, it's something we should be we should be pursuing. Without question, Russ. You know, look, there are... Um... You know, the opiate maintenance and antagonist therapies, Suboxone or Subutex or one of those, uh, you know, a lot of those people probably could do okay on cannabis. We certainly know that it helps the detox process. So in other words, we see a lot of people run off into the night after when you're trying to detox them from their drug of choice. If it's an opiate or if it's alcohol or even um, amphetamine and and cannabis can really, really help with that. Uh, and, and if people are are wanting to replace their drug of choice with cannabis. That's something we're fully going to support because there's no lethal dose and cannabis is, um, can in fact help with certain conditions. I believe one of them is with opiate dependence, alcohol dependence, all those kinds of things. My argument with 12-step people is that I promise them 
cigarettes will kill more people in 12-step recovery than cannabis ever will. Um, it, absolutely. I mean, most of them, I mean, the, the rates of emphysema and lung cancer among people who are, who are in AA is huge. Um, and it's a hard thing. I get it because I am a 12-stepper. I mean, I'm, I'm sober in AA for 20 years. You know, I don't use cannabis, but if I have arthritis in 10 years, I'll certainly consider it. You know, I mean, I'm certainly going to consider it before I would do uh, Vicodin or, or, you know, something else like that. So, so I think that it's something that can be very beneficial and the recovery community should not be adversarial with it. We should be friends with it and we should see how it's going to help people. And maybe some people will take the step further into total abstinence and maybe they won't. And that's actually not a decision for AA. That's a decision for an individual. Well, I'm really glad to hear you saying that. And uh, we're checking out our chat room as well. We're live here on RadicalRest.com. A lot of people uh, paying attention and asking a lot of questions. And one question that comes up is about the idea of marijuana dependence itself. Obviously, high uh-huh. sobriety would be something you know that accepts cannabis use for people to harm reduce for, say, uh, heroin. But what about the claim of people being dependent on cannabis itself? Well then we're probably not the right place to treat cannabis dependence if it's problematic. You know, I think that we look at things in in the wrong way. Addiction is very different than dependence. Um, A dependence on something is, look, uh, uh, diabetics are dependent on insulin. It doesn't mean their goal is to get rid of it. Um, I am dependent on caffeine. I can't, I can't, I can't speak in the morning before. I mean, literally, I literally cannot form a sentence until I've had, you know, a pretty strong cup of coffee. And so I think that the idea of addiction and dependence needs to really be separated out. You know, in my mind, and and I'm very steeped in this world for many years as a clinical social worker, I've been in the trenches with drug use and drug addiction for many years. And so I see a lot of death and destruction. So it's a big victory to me if a young guy, 25 years old, is able to kick something that could potentially kill him, whether it's alcohol, cocaine, pharmaceuticals, street heroin, opiate abuse, all of those things and replace it with cannabis. That's a massive, massive victory in my mind. So the idea of you're switching from one drug to another, the answer is, yeah, that's right. You are. However, you know... (laughs) Um, you're not going to drop dead from from cannabis use. Um, and one of the interesting things about this is we've seen a lot of older people, which I wasn't expecting. So we've seen a lot of chronic alcoholics with liver damage or they have they're now on medications where they can't drink any longer, whether it's a control medication for blood pressure or whatever it is. And they're not interested in sobriety in the traditional terms. They're not interested in spending their life in church basements, drinking bad coffee and, you know, and all the sort of cultural things that we do as 12 step people. Um, And so cannabis is a really, really great option for them. And it's very helpful for people who have had look, we have we've had people who are 50 year scotch drinkers. You know, the idea of trying to force them into some kind of life, it's it's a not realistic. And in my view, it's without compassion. So, you know, there are others that I've uh, spoken to on this issue who discuss not just uh, the use of cannabis uh, as a part of a sober lifestyle, so to speak, but also the idea that uh, all out sobriety may not necessarily be the right goal, that maybe for some people there is a moderated position they can get to with their use of alcohol or even other drugs that they could possibly uh, survive under. Uh, what do you think of that uh, opinion? And is that something that you would uh, uh, follow up and endorse? You know, look, there are 20 million people at uh, uh, SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Agency, says there's 20 million Americans in need of treatment. There can't be one answer for all of those people. Their abstinence can't be the only solution for all of those people. Humans are just too diverse. Our, our individual brains, our culture, our family, everything that comes in to make us and, you know, the construct of our personalities. So the idea of everybody has to be totally absent with the same plan is absurd. There are people who probably would be able to moderate their drinking. Um, you know, my thing as you know, when people come under my care or supervision or they come into treatment with us, our goal is to eliminate the possibility of death. That's the first and foremost goal. If people so and cannabis does that, 
if somebody tells me, well, I'm going to drink fewer martinis, <laughs> you know, my thing is, okay, I mean, it's your life, you know, that kind of a thing. If somebody says to me, I'm good, I, I don't really want to drink anymore, I come home, I smoke my joint, I blunt, or my uh, vape, or my edible, or whatever it is, however they're, and, and I no longer drink alcohol, that's a tremendous relief and a tremendous leap of progress for people. So I would not recommend trying to control one's drug of choice as much as I would uh, recommend replacing with cannabis. Um, but it, yeah, but again, I mean, it's up to the individual. I mean, look, you know, I have teenage boys. I have all kinds of things that I want them to do, but that doesn't mean they're going to do them. You know, we, we just, you know, the idea that, um, you know, well absence is the best thing yeah i guess but i i'm starting to believe that abstinence only drug education is about as effective as abstinence only sex education very good point all right we're speaking with joe shrank from the uh high sobriety clinic in los angeles discussing the idea of cannabis assisted sobriety and uh in this discussion we've kind of focused on the idea of cannabis as a replacement drug for a drug that another more harmful drug someone's using recreationally but a lot of uh, research is starting to uncover that cannabis may actually be a medicine to overcome addiction to overcome withdrawal uh what do you what do you make of that research and have you seen that to be true in your practice you know, I have seen that to be true in my practice. I mean, I think that anecdotally we can support that position. There's a lot of new research that's coming out uh, with neurological. And I don't quite understand the whole opioid, uh, cannabinoid. You know, I don't quite understand the science of it. But but the basic gist of it is that people can be helped with withdrawal, with craving, with a lot of things that will lead them back to a dangerous behavior or the drug um, with a lethal dose. Again, I, I mean, I and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but as long as it's a schedule one drug, we can't tell people empirically what it will or won't do because there can't be clinical trials as long as the government says that there's no medicinal value, which we know is not true. There is medicinal value. I see the medicinal value every day and I see the cultural value. I see a lot of different things. Um, and so to, to just kind of lump cannabis in with heroin and cocaine and other things like that is it's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And so I wish, you know, and I get that question a lot. Well, what does it do? I wish I could say, you know, the empiricist in me wants to say, this is what it's going to do. But we really can't do that at this point. Yeah, very good point. We need to fight to get that uh, rescheduling or descheduling to happen so the science can actually take place. Joe, we're just about out of time, but I want to make sure people that want to get more information on this revolutionary new method or new way of thinking in addiction to uh, be able to contact you to get more info. So you got any websites, Facebook, phone numbers you want to give out? We got all of it. HighSobrietyTreatment.com is the website. Um, and my, I'm just Joe at High Sobriety Treatment. I answer all emails. I'm very responsive. I'm not looking for everybody to agree with me. So if anybody has any, any dissenting opinions, I got an email from Kevin Sabet. Oh, good. So, um, oh yeah, no, it was, it, it was delightful. Um, uh, anyway, I'm, 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 I look, America needs to have this debate. We need to think, rethink addiction. And so I'm all for it. If people want to tell me this is a crazy idea, by all means, let's have that conversation. Joe Schrank from High Sobriety. Check him out, highsobrietytreatment.com for more information. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, giving us a look at this uh, new way of thinking. It's uh, very, very uh, good news for our side. Okay. Thanks, Russ. All right. Stay tuned, folks. And yep, uh, when care. we come back, we will have more for you. My radical rant is coming up on why it is wrong to use drug testing to deny unemployment and welfare benefits. You're listening to The Russ Belville Show on RadicalRust.com. We'll be back right after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. 
in the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Okay, maybe you're high, too. perfect platform to show people the, the, the support that this movement actually has. You know, this is, this is a, a new event for us, and look at how many people showed up and, and, and to, kick, to come see this panel and to hear what the hell is being said about legalization and medical Strength and numbers, strength and numbers. Yeah, you know, strength and numbers, and, and that's what this is, is to, to join all these, these like-minded people that believe in this cause and uh, who better to have up here, you know, doing it, man? Tommy Chong, that again. You know, he served time as an example. I was thinking too, you know, they got uh, the Republican or the far right has the teabaggers. So we should create our own, or how about weed baggers? Weed baggers. We belong to the weed bagger party. The weed bagger party. And we believe and we believe in giving love and a bag of weed to all our neighbors. That has to be a, 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 a part of our trip when we're when we do get it legal. Let's have a one day where everybody just gives weed to someone that needs it. We'll, 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 give, a, we'll give a new meaning to the word sacrilegious. <laughs> Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Where'd you learn that, Cheech? Drug school. A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. Curse people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was that was the point. I think we made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. Currently in Kansas City, they have got a ballot initiative that will be voted on that would decriminalize personal amounts of marijuana in the city under the ordinance. And a recent poll showed that about 56% of the voters there support this sort of ordinance. But apparently not the editorial board of the Kansas City Star, which has published an editorial entitled Marijuana proposal, a bad solution to a non-problem. A non-problem. Oh, apparently marijuana being illegal is a non-problem to the Kansas City Star. Well, if it's such a non-problem, why keep it illegal? I've never understood this point that we get from our opponents that, oh, you know, marijuana prohibition's no big deal. Nobody really goes to jail for pot. It's really no big deal. Well, okay, if it's no big deal. Great, then you shouldn't be opposed to legalizing it, right? But apparently they are. It's question five on the ballot. They say that it's fraught with potential complications and unintended consequences. Now, this is a a municipal fine. It would be uh, $25 for possession of 35 grams of marijuana or less. It would prohibit a city jail sentence for marijuana possession and remove marijuana from the prohibited list of drug paraphernalia. So you wouldn't get a paraphernalia ticket for your pot pipe currently under kansas city's ordinances you can get a 500 dollars fine and up to 180 days in jail and the kansas city star writes that kansas cityans considering question five might conclude it decriminalizes pot it does not marijuana possession would remain an ordinance violation even if the proposal passes okay correct it would be a ticket a violation for which I could not get any days in jail, and for which the fine would drop from $500 to 25 That sounds like a big change to me. But they continue. 
by saying that means anyone ticketed for marijuana could still have the citation on his or her record, even after paying a reduced fine. A record of marijuana use can cause enormous problems on job applications. Some believe a drug offense could be a stumbling block when seeking loans and loan guarantees for post-secondary education. That isn't worth the risk. No, <laughs> wait a minute. First of all, you're making the, the, the case for why we need the decriminalization. A record of marijuana use can cause enormous problems on job applications and be a stumbling block for loans and post-secondary education. You're trying to say that, well, it's already something that goes on your record and hurts you, and this wouldn't change the fact that it goes on your record and hurts you. Okay, so there's zero change in that part, but the fine drops from 500 to 25 and the jail time drops from 180 to zero. That's progress. The line they throw away there with that isn't worth the risk is them trying to say that this record of marijuana use, this record that causes the po- the problems in your life is somehow somehow a disincentive is somehow keeping people. It's, it's a way of a, it's the stick approach, you know, to keep people from smoking pot. Well, it's not working. <laughs> people are smoking pot in Kansas city. And you're admitting that passing this decrim doesn't change that stick at all. There'll still be the same stick of you could lose your loan. You could have a record. You could not get a job. So what are you opposed to? They do say the lack of jail time means that violators won't be eligible for defense attorneys from the legal aid of Western Missouri. That's true. You only get that that Sixth Amendment right to, you know, have an attorney if you can't afford one. One will be appointed for you only applies to things that could possibly land you in jail. So if they take away the threat of jail time, you don't get that court appointed attorney. So wait a minute. But most of the people who are getting the why were they trying to get a court appointed attorney in the first place was. To avoid the $500 fine and the 180 days in jail. Mostly the 180 days in jail. I'm thinking people that will be paying just a $25 fine aren't going to be that upset that they didn't have to spend the money or get the attorney to avoid the jail time. They also say to remember that marijuana possession and use would still be state crimes and still be a violation of federal law. Question five might lure casual users into a false sense of security with disastrous consequences if state or federal law enforcement steps in. So they're trying to say here that pot smokers in Kansas City, not wanting to run afoul of state or federal law, were deterred by a $500 fine and $180 or 180 days in jail and a $500 fine, but wouldn't be deterred by the $25 fine and no days in jail and therefore risk the state and federal law. But again, they're risking the state and federal law now. If Kansas City weren't busting anybody for smoking weed, this would be a different discussion. But here's the one that really makes me laugh. They write, this Kansas Kansas City Star writes, it also could lead to disparate treatment of suspects. A police officer north of the river might refer a state a case to state prosecutors who might want to punish drug use more aggressively than a municipal court prosecutor or judge south of the river. It would be unfair for some Kansas Cityans to face steeper penalties than others for the same offense. What they're saying here is that if we had a civil citation that was just 25 bucks, but the cops could still charge you under the state law, bad cops might charge this person with the state law and the other person with the $25 fine. So rather than treat some people with less severe penalties, we should treat all people with the most severe penalties. That's the argument. Now, I know where he's getting at. You know, this is a, there's a legit argument to be made here that, well, then they're going to use the state law against the black kids they catch. Throw the book at them, and then they'll use the 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 decrim to to treat the, the you know the rich white kids, the suburban white kids. They'll get off with the slap in the wrist and the twenty five dollar fine. And yeah, there's a lot to be upset about in that. But is the answer to that 
to criminalize everybody severely? How about if there's a disparity between the white kids getting the fine and the black kids getting the arrest? How about we make it so all the kids get the fine? To me, the idea that it's going to be racially disproportionate to make progress is not a good argument against progress. They also continue along with the uh, with the old, we don't arrest anybody, we don't lock anyone up for pot. They say, quote, that small step might be worth the risk if there were evidence of mass incarceration of low-level marijuana users. There is not. Prosecutors are not filling the jails and prisons with people who smoke pot. I, that's the, you love it, right? Well, if they're not, why do we need to keep it illegal? If it's such a terribly bad thing, why is nobody getting locked up for it? Now, we make the argument that, of course, the marijuana charges are add-ons. This is just part of the plea bargain game. 96% of court cases get solved through plea bargains. They never make it to trial. It all has to do with the prosecutors stacking up as many offenses as they possibly can. And the possession of marijuana, there's one. The possession of paraphernalia, there's another. The conspiracy to possess, there's another. There's a possession with intent to sell, there's another. There's a child engagement because there's a kid in the home, there's another. Possession of a firearm with the intent to commit a felony, there's another. They can just add all these things up. That's like playing poker. They got the big stack of chips. And then when it comes to negotiation, they can trade off some of these chips. And so what happens is their argument is that, see, these people, they were really big bad time guys. The ones that are in jail, those are the ones that traded all their chips away until the only one left was the possession one. So what you're telling me then is that the marijuana possession itself is not so such a serious crime that we really care care about it. It's just a way of boosting the prosecutor's power. It's nothing involved in trying to save society or keep us safe. It all has to do with it being part of the game. It's just a bargaining chip for the prosecutor. And if we decriminalize marijuana, why we'd be taking that bargaining chip away. Marijuana itself isn't the problem. It's just a tool we use to go after the bigger problems. That's what they're really admitting when they make this argument. The marijuana itself is not so harmful that in and of itself it's a crime we're worried about. It's something we add on to real crimes. It's something that we can easily prove as compared to some of these other things. And they say, we think the petition committee is really interested in fully legalizing marijuana. That's a complex question that should be debated at state and federal levels, not addressed in local ordinances that only nibble around the edges. This is another very familiar refrain from our opponents. Happens when we try decrim, happens when we try medical marijuana, happens when we try CBD oil. They say, oh, well, you people, you're not really interested in just this limited measure. You really want it legal for everyone. It's the old camel's nose under the tent argument. Now, for me, it's absolutely true. I do want marijuana legalized for all people. So if I am that person, how could I not support any shorter reforms than that, right? Like, like if I'm the person, they're trying to make it seem as if, as if I'm the person who really supports marijuana legalization, the only argument I should make is for full marijuana legalization and nothing else. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how any progress works in any, uh, this is like asking, uh, Frederick, Dr- Frederick Douglass and the, the, the early, early, you know, 1800s reconstruction era black leaders to be arguing for interracial marriage. Well, that's what you really want is interracial marriage, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's a right that everybody should have, but that's not the where you start. <laughs> that's not the start of the argument, is it? Same thing with his marijuana legalization. Yes, we want marijuana legalization for all people. But wouldn't that start by decriminalizing its possession for most people? They want to kind of try to corral you into that all or nothing argument because they know they've got more support against you. Not so much anymore, but for the full legalization argument, at least in Kansas, they've got more support on their side if they try to make it a broader argument about full-scale legalization. Decriminalization is exactly what it says it is, taking the crime out of the possession. You can still punish it, you can still hate it, just don't lock people up for it. 
Well, that's all the time we got for our podcast hour. Thanks for joining us, you live listeners on YouTube. Stay tuned for hour two coming up next. For everyone here at Delta 9 House and Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you manage, you grow it, you go.